Hello and welcome to the show. We are so glad to have you here on Unbossed today. And do you know who's in the co-chair, co-host? Cause y'all know I'm all about the co-chair cause I'm in legislative mode at all times. But my wonderful co-host today is none other than JB. Jessica Burbank is in the house. Jessica, I miss our Burbank Mondays, I really do. We're back, it's good to be back together. Yeah, I'm so glad we are back together. I know there's been a little shuffling around, but it all makes for the better, the betterment of the network, the uplift of the TYT network. But we are so glad that you are back with us on Unbossed. Anything you want to share with us in terms of any that what you're working on? Uh, we've got some exciting stuff on the Substack about the Federal Reserve raising rates and what's going on with the recession. So you can find that linked in my Twitter. We'll do that, link to Twitter and and listen, Jessica does the amazing stories that she does on TikTok, baby, Bring, breaking it down for yeah. you on TikTok and the gram. So you don't wanna miss her stories. And speaking of stories, Jessica and I today will be talking about none other than Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, who should absolutely lose his job at this moment. But him losing his job would mean that the whole administration just epic fail when it comes to the safety of folks regarding transportation in this country from the airlines now to the trains. And the Wall Street Journal, they put out a disgusting headline. We're gonna take a look at it. It's something like miss some meals to save some money. And later in the show, Santos and Marjorie Tater Tot Green, they strike again. <laughs> they are the gift that will not stop giving. We're gonna start with East Palestine, as of this morning, another, well, before we get to East Palestine, but this whole segment is, is about them summing it up. But before we get to them, I want you to know there was another train, train derailment. Take a look. So it's past time for us to fire Pete Buttigieg. He needs to go. He is an epic fail. He has failed in his duties as transportation secretary. He is making all kinds of excuses about what he cannot do. With all the power that he has, he's talking about what he cannot do. But meanwhile, back in hoods all over this country, people are suffering. And we're not gonna take our eyes off of this situation that is happening in East Palestine. A situation that will likely impact Ohioans for the rest of their lives and even some folks going into Pittsburgh because we're all connected. Nobody is going to escape, but the citizens in East Palestine are the closest to this. Let's put up this headline, Buttigieg pretends he's powerless to reduce derailment risk. Facing pressure to act, America's chief rail regulator now insists He's constrained and guess what? He is not. And here's what he stated or what the lever team and thank you lever team for putting this out. Facing pressure from lawmakers in his own party. After a spat of train derailments, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg has now resorted to falsely suggesting that he does not have power to compel the rail industry to upgrade its safety equipment and procedures. Where I'm come from, we call it a lie but I'm just reading what the lover put out, they're great reporting. In a Twitter thread posted more than a week after Fort Sutherland's fiery train derailment in East Palestine, Palestine, Ohio, Buttigieg indicated that he cannot reinstate an Obama enacted 
Trump repealed law requiring some trains carrying hazardous materials to replace their Civil War era braking systems with new ECP brake technology. Now, according to Secretary of Transportation Buttigieg, there is nothing he can do to change the regulations, absolutely nothing that the Trump administration put forth. Now it has me questioning, then why is it that the Trump administration was able to do something different than what the Obama administration did, but now the Biden administration can't do something different than what the Trump administration did? Does that mean that the Republican administrations, they know how to wield power and do some different things with power that Democrats don't know how to do? Please make it make sense. Let's go ahead and put up this tweet from the Secretary of Transportation, we're constrained by law on some areas of rail regulation, like the breaking rule withdrawal by the Trump administration in 2018 because of a law passed by Congress in 2015. But we are using the powers we do have to keep people safe. That's a crock of BS. So again, Trump was able to undo what President Obama did, but President Biden's administration is not able to undo what the Trump administration did. Again, please make it make sense. But that has been debunked by the Department of Transportation. Let's put this up. This is a flat out false. There are constraints, but as DOT has made clear, we will look to the NTSB investigation, take action necessary to ensure accountability and improve safety. Now a coalition, of environmental organizations, they've been all over this and I'm so glad that they are. A coalition of environmental organizations has also been asking the department to redo the analysis. After the Trump administration rescinded the breaking rule, groups including the Sierra Club and Earth Justice appealed the decision, citing the flawed analysis and asking the transportation department to prepare a new one. The appeal is still pending. Now, experts in the rail industry were contacted by the lever. Again, their extraordinary coverage on this. And they made it clear, these experts did, they made it clear that Buttigieg's hands are not tied, that he does, in fact, have the authority to act. He needs to use that authority. Let's take a look at what they said. John Reich, the Federal Railroad Administration's mission is to promote rail safety. If they believe that ECP brakes are essential to rail safety, they could require ECP brakes on certain trains or whatever they want to do. In other words, you can make new rules. The Department of Transportation is not helpless. Secretary Pete Buttigieg is not helpless. Make some different rules. And as Reich pointed out, that nothing is preventing him from using his existing rulemaking authority to expand the definition of quote, high hazard flammable train to cover trains like what happened in Ohio. Again, the lever went deep on this. And here's the kicker, put up this headline, Norfolk Sutherland skips East Palestine Town Hall. I wonder why those cowards did that. And let's see what's buzzing on Twitter over this. Crystal ball laid it down. You got to be kidding me. Cowards can't even answer some questions from the town they poisoned. Shameful. Got that right, Crystal ball. And then my stunt double. They see the people of East Palestine as disposable. It's as simple as 
that. So Jessica, here we have uh, an administration and the President of the United States has to take responsibility because Pete Buttigieg is in fact his Secretary of Transportation making excuses about why they can't come to the relief of people like the ones who are suffering in my home state in East Palestine, Ohio. Yeah, it's ridiculous that Pete is pretending like he's not tasked with drafting legislation and making policy as the head of the Department of Transportation nationally. It's ridiculous. We're big fans of Pete here at Unbossed. Do your job, it's very simple. So we had this derailment in East Palestine, another in Detroit, and then three days ago in Houston, and then another in South Carolina. Now let's remember that workers were striking for more safe conditions on these rail lines. prepared to strike and Congress blocked this strike. Pete Buttigieg could have met some of what they were fighting for. Workers were literally fighting so that they were safer and so that people in the surrounding communities that these rails pass through were safer. And now they're at risk there in East Palestine and everyone in the watershed outside of Ohio. When you have longer trains, when you have less staff on these trains, what they were fighting for was one man crews, these executive executives of these rail corporations, BNSF, Norfolk Southern, and all of the major rail lines that are making billions of dollars in profit. They decided the solution was to cut staff. This makes more dangerous conditions and leads to the derailments that we're seeing now. So when they said, you know, we want to avoid this strike because it would be bad for the economy. What they really mean when they say that is it would be bad for profit margins because it's not good for the 5,000 people living in East Palestine, Ohio. It's not good for anybody in that watershed. And it's not good for the rail workers. Yeah, indeed. And this tragedy, I mean, you know, for a lifetime, people in this community are going to have to put up with this. And as we've been hearing some of the concerns of the residents, the water, the air, you know, being too afraid to go back home and not having enough money not to go back home. This is an issue of class as well, Jessica. Make no mistake. If this had happened in a wealthier community, they folk this this you know the the way that the administration is ignoring this it wouldn't be happening they would be down there helping these people and heads would be rolling and governor dewine we looking at you bruh cuz the fact that you are not up in arms about this as the governor of the great state of ohio your residents being poisoned by this you should be all up in norfolk sutherland right that ceo should be making his or her way into Columbus, Ohio as we speak, bruh. But you're not doing any of that. You're telling the people they can go back. I mean, just really just, it burns me because they treat these people as if they are expendable. I mean, we got reports about animals dying. You know, all of this stuff for a lifetime. The, The Ohio River is in jeopardy now. And as you laid out, Jessica, the impact is going to be beyond the great state of Ohio. So we got air, we got food, we got water. All will be impacted by this for generations to come. And the excuses that they're saying, oh, well, animals may be dying, but humans have nothing to, to fear. It is a crock of BS. And people should be up in arms. I know I'm up in arms about it. 
and others are too. Now there are community efforts to support these residents that are happening on the grassroots level team. Let's put this up. The comedy resistance is leading an effort. And they said we arrived at ground zero in East Palestine and are distributing cases of bottled water to neighborhoods affected by the toxic spill caused by Norfolk Sutherland. Hashtag train derailment and we need your help. Please chip in and share. So yes, you can find their link and if you can chip in and share. We wanna thank the folks that are making their way there to show the people of East Palestine that we have their back. To add to the everyday people having their back, we need government to have their back too. This is what government's primary, one of government's primary roles are to do this. And the federal government is failing and so is the state government as well. We are definitely gonna keep you posted on this. We see you, President Biden. We see you, Secretary Buttigieg and Governor DeWine, for the love of God, defend your residents. Okay, if you need some help, call me, call a sister. I'll hook you right up. Now we're on our way to Michigan, take a look. We begin with the mass shooting at Michigan State University. At least three people are dead and five more wounded after a gunman opened fire at two locations on campus. So the reason I'm making this video right now is because it is almost 1 a.m. and I am currently directly across the street from where the shootings at Michigan State occurred. I am 21 years old and this is the second mass shooting that I have now lived through. 10 years and two months ago, I survived the Sandy Hook shooting. The fact that this is the second mass shooting that I have now lived through is incomprehensible. My heart goes out to all the families and the friends of the victims of this Michigan State shooting. But we can no longer just provide love and prayers. It needs to be legislation, it needs to be action, it's not okay. Shannon is absolutely right. This is not okay. And for her at such a young age to be able to say in her life experience thus far that she's been through two mass shootings. Shame on this country, two mass shootings because all the folks that got power, all they doing is giving thoughts and prayers. Look, Sister Turner, I believe in thoughts and prayers. Okay, I'm steeped in thoughts and prayers. Thoughts, prayers, and action. Can we add that to it? Thoughts, prayers, and action. Say it with me. Thoughts, prayers, and actions. And we sick and tired of people with power only giving the thoughts and prayers. Something wrong with these folks. Now, according to the Gun Violence Archive, this was the 67th mass shooting in the United States so far in 2023. And we're not even out of the month of February for shame. Now here's some details. Anthony McRae, 43, was identified as the sole suspect in the shooting. The motive is unclear. As officials said, McRae had no apparent affiliation with MSU and took his own life after the attack. The three students killed were Alexandria Werner, Ariel Anderson, and Brian Frazier. We are looking at them and our hearts do go out to their families and to their friends. They did not get a chance. They should still be alive. They did not get a chance to grow old, to accomplish goals and then live a good long life because of this mass shooting. It is unfair to them. It is unfair to their families. It is unfair to their community. It is unfair to this nation to continue to allow 
this kind of foolishness and mayhem to just run rapid in the United States of America. But beyond that, much like every single victim of gun violence, every single one of them, you have people that have power given a whole lot of thoughts and prayers, but not a whole lot of action. Those three things should go together. So Michigan State Representative Puri said he's had enough of these mass shootings. And this is what he tweeted today. We began to collectively heal from the horrific events which transpired. Tomorrow we work. My official statement regarding the Michigan State University shooting is F, prickle frackle your thoughts and prayers. Okay, and I'm with the representative on that. The hell with it if you got power. Now people who are just you know sending them good vibes, you just a regular citizen and all that, we get it. We ain't talking about them folks. Put all your thoughts and prayers out there. But what the representative is saying to these mofos who got power, F your thoughts and prayers. We don't want them. Okay, because you got power. We need some action. I'm with the representative on that, baby. Tell it like it is. Just go on and put it down there. See, when your hair is on fire, I had a boss who always used to say, if your hair is on fire, act like your hair is on fire. I'm glad that representative put it out there. His hair is on fire. He angry. He disappointed. And damn it, he ain't missed no word. F your thoughts and your prayers. Again, to the people with power. In his official statement, Representative Puri said the following. What happened in East Lansing is unfortunately far too common. Going to school in America, whether it's preschool or college, means risking your life every day to the threat of a mass shooting. Can't even go to a grocery store. Yet all we have offered up are empty solutions, traumatizing active shooter drills and bulletproof backpacks. We do not need to live like this. You better say that representative. The United States is the only country where this happens. Bold, underline, underscore, message in a bottle on a train not carrying chemicals. Where where Jag is the transportation secretary. Jessica, I look, I'm with this representative. I'm glad he came hard. I'm glad he came hard into the pain on this. Yeah, this is the energy we need from elected officials. This is one of those issues that just highlights the dysfunction of American democracy. Because it's not even really about the country being divided. Common sense gun reform is popular. The only reason Congress has not passed common sense gun reform nationally is because of the NRA and because of lobbying money paying them to do what their constituents do not want them to do. And it's a common criticism, right? That even if we do pass common sense gun reform, there are a lot of gun sales that would slip through those cracks, right? It doesn't cover everything. And we're at the point where we have 393 million guns in the United States. It's this Frankenstein, what do you do about that? And gun buyback programs are an option. Australia has had very successful gun buyback programs where they pay market value for the guns and they make it mandatory that they're sold back. And within a year, they got about 650,000 guns back from their people there. In the United States, it would take 604 years at that rate. Could we find a way to do it faster? Maybe. Are Americans less likely to give up their guns? Also, maybe. So we're in this situation because of people like those representatives that will sell themselves out and their constituents out to these lobbyists to line their pockets and do the opposite of what their people want. So it's not very optimistic, but we are inheriting this mess of a situation where we're at the point where restricting gun sales won't even begin to address the problem we're in. Yeah, 
And, you know, we can deal with the realities as you laid them out and still do something. Where we're gonna continue to do absolutely nothing while this scourge and the number of guns that you laid out, those the numbers, the stats that you laid out. I mean, we got more guns than we got people. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, America, do we really need that many guns? Seriously, is it that important to you? Obviously, it is because nothing has happened. And Jessica is absolutely right. The owner donors are in full control when it comes to this. Representative went on, Pori went on to say, thoughts and prayers without action. That's what Sister Turner was saying. Thoughts and prayers without action and change are meaningless. You better believe that. He's absolutely right. We've seen this time and time again. All the thoughts and prayers from these power brokers and no actions whatsoever. A common talking point we see, especially among the GOP, is blaming mental health challenges for violence. Now, let us dress this up. Justin and I are going to dress this up. Now, I just want you to wrap your mind around this. Yes. Do people in this country have, I mean, people all over the world, people have mental health challenges. But it is a freaking lie to lay all the gun violence on mental health challenges. And it does a disservice to the people who are suffering with some mental illness because it tries to paint all people who have some mental health challenges as violent. And that is not the truth. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a correlation from time to time, but the way the GOP is throwing this out, and they got some gall, the pure unadulterated gall to blame this stuff on total mental health issues. Let's just say, let's just ride down their lane for a minute and pretend that they were right. They not right, they wrong. Statistically, they're wrong. But let's just just for a minute go to fairytale land and, and ride, ride this wave with them. Then why the hell aren't they supporting universal health care? So then we can deal, help people deal with their mental health challenges, huh? They just a bunch, all they do, they play games. They don't wanna solve problems, they play games. Team, let's go ahead and put up this headline. Republicans push unfounded mental health claim for gun violence. It's a bunch of BS America. We want you to know this. Only small minority of aggression is tied to mental illness. Right wing politicians seek to shift focus from gun policy. And you know why they shifted? Because they cowards. As Jessica just laid out, they are bought and sold by the NRA. That's it. And that's all. And it doesn't matter if babies get shot to younger people, you know, in their 20s and 30s, all the way to folks that's getting a little more seasoning. It don't matter how old you are. From a baby all the way to 150 years old, these mofos don't give a damn about gun violence at all. Because if they did, they would tell the NRA to go straight to hell. And that we are gonna have some common sense gun reform in the United States of America, which most Americans want, including gun owners. Don't nobody want this. I mean, no no freedom thinking patriot wants this. Let's just go ahead and turn this around on these mofos. It's something wrong with these people. It really, really, really is. Let's put this up. Hours after Michigan shooting, North Carolina Republicans advanced bills to loosen state gun laws. You see what I'm saying, America? Do you understand what we're saying on here? They full of it. Don't believe what they say. Look at what they do. America, we got a problem and we got to solve it. It's just laid out. Listen, it might take us a long time, but damn it, their journey towards a thousand miles begins with the first step. Let's get to stepping. We'll be back, wrap your mind around that, we'll be back.
after this. Welcome back to the show. Now, you know, the watch list is on right after this, so you don't even have to change the channel. Stay right there on your YouTube channel and phone some friends and some frenemies. Let them know, send them a text that the watch list with J.R. Jackson, baby, at its new time right after Unboss. You can go to tyt.com slash live. Go ahead and show JR some love. And the progress report, our newsletter, the big corporate newsletters all want you to believe that they've got the inside story. The progress report brings you something better, insight. And no, we don't just barrage you with every obsessive development from Trump world. Just what truly matters, that is what they do, just what truly matters. So go ahead, subscribe to the progress report. You don't wanna miss it. You can do tyt.com slash newsletter or scan the Q code, do that. And then the Colorado ranchers protest. Just wanna remind you that justice for Courtney Mallory, a rancher in Colorado who owns Freedom Acres Ranch in El Paso County in Colorado. He was harassed and arrested for farming while black, which is a crime in America. A protest has been planned to take place at the Denver Denver Capitol building tomorrow, February the 17th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Please, if you can join them and if you can't physically join them, please lift them up on social media. Now to my favorite part of the show, your comments. We're gonna start with our TYT members first, Mickey. Hey, Mickey, baby. Pete's qualifications for being given this position was to drop out of the primaries and back Biden against Bernie. You got that right. Speak that truth, Mickey. And Jessica's shaking her head. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's the extent of why he was given this. I mean, it really is, Jessica. I mean, let the truth, the truth shall set you free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all. Now, no other words necessary. Mm-hmm. That's it. Just Pete and with the cell phone. <laughs> And on Twitch, Sylvia, hey, Sylvia, baby, Nina, Jessica, exclamation point. My afternoon just got so much better. Well, we feeling that love, Sylvia, and we sending it right back to you, baby. And fight for the cause. Nina and Jessica, power, power, power. We received that and we sending it right back to you. Fight for the cause and make believe. To all the law abiding people, I'm sorry, but there are way too many immature gun owners to warrant having the right. It should be privilege only. Maple Leaf, you start, you, you really want to start a fight, don't you? I hear you, baby. Woo! And on YouTube, Super Chat, Henry, Nina, and Jessica. All right now. <laughs> Jessica. Yes. The duo's back. People are happy. They are happy. And T Gritty, Nina, Ohio is lucky to have you. Thank you, baby. And thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in to Unboss. You know we love you. We are so glad that our dynamic duel is back together. Jessica and Nina back together. And we really appreciate you for your support of Unbossed and your support of the TYT network. You know, there was a headline in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, they just said, you know what? If you really want to save some money, just skip some meals. Let's put up this headline right here to save money. Maybe you just shouldn't eat. And they started with breakfast. Just just don't eat breakfast. And I don't know, maybe, maybe they do have a point as much as eggs cost. You know, maybe they might be on something. But they basically said starve. Don't eat breakfast. Make that sacrifice. 
not increase min minimum wage to a living wage, not deal with corporate greed and price gouging, just don't eat breakfast and you will save money. So it, what exactly does the article state? We glad you asked, we're gonna put that up. Several breakfast staples saw sharp price increases due to a perfect storm of bad weather and disease outbreaks and continued efforts effects from Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. And this is again coming from the Wall Street Journal. Next, they go on to say, Gabriel in this article, egg prices increased 8.5% in January from a month earlier and are up 70.1% over the past year, the highest annual rate since 1973. The deadliest variant influenza outbreak on record has devastated poultry flocks across the United States, leading the price of eggs to rise more than any other grocery item in 2022. I mean, folks, right now the eggs cost more than the chicken wings. That's real. Breakfast cereal increased more modestly in January from a month earlier, just 0.4%, but prices in the category were up 15% over a year, in part because of elevated global grain prices resulting from disruptions related to the war in the Ukraine. Now, the real kicker of the whole article is the last line in this very short article. And let us read this together. Breakfast lovers might be better off just having a cup of coffee, but go with roasted, not instant. Prices for roasted coffee declined by 0.1% last month, but instant coffee rose by a 3.6% monthly increase. God dog. And people are really feeling it at the grocery stores. Government data released Tuesday showed grocery prices were 11.3% higher in January than a year ago. But some grocers are pushing back, put up this headline. As inflation stays high, grocers push back against rising food prices. Retailers are testing their leverage with suppliers as more shoppers seek cheaper alternatives to name brands but near term relief isn't likely. And the saddest part, seniors and low income households are among the most hurt by the high prices in the grocery aisles. And we know this, but we're gonna put up this data. According to a survey, 63% rate food costs as the category of spending that increased the fastest in their household. This is up from 58% who reported food costs as their fastest growing category of spending this time of year. Food was the leading pain point last year. Well, Jessica, we got a problem, we've known it. I mean, this 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 conundrum is not new. Inflation is one thing, we're still dealing with the pandemic, certainly the war in the Ukraine, but also what they forgot to emphasize is corporate greed. What's your, what's your position on this, Jessica? You know, I remember when it was uh, don't eat avocado toast, right? Now it's just skip breakfast altogether to save money. It's almost like uh, the student lunch debt crisis and not giving students meals at school. It's just preparing them for their future in our capitalist dystopia here. It doesn't make sense uh, to have an economy set up this way, right? Corporations are raising prices. We're seeing profits are at an all time high, yet wages are stagnant and have been since the 70s and under record inflation. 
wages should be up so people can afford bare essentials. So despite our economy being more productive than ever, workers are not being compensated for their labor. And the Fed is raising interest rates, making it even more expensive to live, intentionally making more people unemployed. The government is cutting benefits and plans to continue to do so while not collecting taxes from the wealthy to provide public goods. That's the situation we're in. And the solution is working people should skip meals. It doesn't make sense. It's very difficult to tell a worker, hey, you know what, even though you have to go and, and do labor all day, how about you you skip the first meal of the day, you have less energy so that you can save some extra money and then give that to your landlord at the, at the beginning of the month. Like it's very hard to read and watch the news and not come to the conclusion that the social contract is broken and we need to come up with a better organization of our economic system. Yeah, we do. that. Greed, corporate greed is driving. It is the driver here, notwithstanding some of these other variables, which we know do exist, but it is corporate greed and it is the way that the rules are set up. The government can make new rules. Government job is to call the files. And this is a file. This is a file on the American people. And we are not helpless, okay? Just like Buttigieg is not helpless, this federal government is not helpless. Deal with these daggone owner donors and for don't tell people to skip meals. I mean, too many people are already food insecure as it is. This is a callous, callous calculation in the hegemonic nation known as the United States of America telling people just don't eat. DeSantis, this man, the sanctimonious, do you remember this from last year? People in Martha's Vineyards woke up yesterday to 50 migrants they weren't expecting wandering the street. Men, women, children. Turns out they had just arrived in a plane from Texas, compliments of Governor Greg Abbott and Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis. They were shipped there as a political stunt because if you sanctuary cities want these people so much, you can have them kind of thing. Only the people and agencies who had helped them were left scrambling to do so because no one told them they were coming. They did, however, let Fox News know, and they were there with their cameras to catch the pandemonium as the libs didn't know what to do. These are not illegal immigrants. These are asylum seekers from Venezuela who are registered with the federal government. And they were given brochures that intentionally gave them the wrong information. So when they failed to update their status properly, they would be deported. And it still gets worse. Ron DeSantis has a $12 million deportation fund funded by Florida taxpayer dollars. And Charlie Crist, who's running against him for governor, found that that fund paid a Florida company called Vertal Systems $615,000 to transport those 50 people. That is $12,300 per person. A $12 million deportation fund funded by the taxpayers of the great state of Florida. Florida, get this dude. Y'all done created this madman. Come and get him. What he is doing is absolutely wrong. De Sanctimonious is at it again. This headline right here, DeSantis signs bill expanding controversial migrant transportation program. So now he not putting this money to help small businesses or to help schools or to increase the minimum wage. No, oh no, none of that. But the migrants, oh yeah, we're gonna use taxpayers dollars to ship them on out of here. This is what they do, Florida. Is this a good use of your taxpayers' money? Inquirer minds do want to know. Lawmakers voted last week along party lines, no surprise there, to remove the restrictions on the location of the migrants. The measure approved by the Republican controlled legislature also shifted control of the program from the Florida Department of Transportation to the Florida Department of Emergency Management, a move that would allow the DeSantis administration to award millions of dollars in no bid contracts 
to facilitate the transportation of migrants. I want y'all to read the small print. No big contracts so he can give money to all his friends, all his owner donors and the companies that they own to create more misery and havoc for these migrants. Florida, we ask you again on Unboss, do you believe that this is a good use of your money? This man is an authoritarian, that's exactly what he is. He running Florida like he the damn king. Florida, y'all need to figure something out because the rest of the country shouldn't have to suffer because of this man's foolishness and mayhem. Cuz that that's really what's happening here. DeSantis said, let's put up what this dude said, the sanctimonious. I would love not to have to deal with this at all. Such a liar. But you have a total disaster that's unfolded on the borders for over 2 years. You've had millions and millions of people come across illegally from 100 different countries. Nobody knows who the folks are. We have no idea what they're going to do when they get here. You know what? Again, painting people as the other so he can gin up fear and get people's feathers all ruffled up so that they can hate somebody else. We have no idea who they are and where they're coming from. Really, dude? So, your answer is to ship them off somewhere else instead of figuring out the fix, working with the federal government? That's your, see, he is a fear mongerer, Florida. Y'all can do better than this. The Sunshine State, you got to do better. You know what? It's dim and cloudy over there in Florida. Ain't no sunshine in Florida because of this man and his manipulation. So DeSantis and the GOP, they play these games with these people's lives. And I want you to check out a quote from this from, from Ali's book, Crossing Borders, the Reconciliation of a Nation of Immigrants. Let's take a look at this. In our effort to learn about the root causes of Central America's migration to the United States, we expected a sense of fear and hopelessness to run through our meetings. Instead, we met people of determination, focus and pride who wanted more for their country, who didn't want to leave their homes. Ali Norandi is the author of this book. Thank you so much for this. So Jessica, just your thoughts about what this governor is doing, how he is stoking fear, and how there are other governors across the country who are mimicking this madness. Yeah, DeSantis likes to be a trendsetter with stuff like this from the don't say gay bill to you know trying to defund Disney Corporation. He really likes to be the first guy to do things and to set trends within the Republican Party. But he couldn't have passed this without the help of the House and Senate in Florida. And it's very interesting that they voted across party lines, which in the Senate was 27 to 12 and in the House was 77 to 34. And when you think about the last presidential election in 2020 in Florida, with about 51.2% going to the Republicans, it's really interesting that the House and Senate has such overwhelming Republican makeup. So if you're a Democrat and you're noticing that in red states across the country, we're really being sweeped in local state House and Senate elections, that's a huge problem. We need more investment locally from the Democratic Party. We can't just worry about the presidency you know, every four years. It's not a good approach and has real consequences, this is one of them. So. 
with fiscal tightening we have right now as well, spending 10 to $12 million on something like this, is this a smart thing to do economically if you're the governor of a state? It's pretty clearly not. And so why is he doing it? I think you raise a really good point that he's gonna have say because this is emergency funds that are being appropriated. He's gonna have say over which construction companies get these major contracts or transportation companies get these major contracts. We should be looking into are those guys buddies of DeSantis? Are those guys donating to DeSantis's presidential campaign? Because this is a recipe for corruption. And considering his track record, I wouldn't be surprised if he was up to something fishy here. Oh, he is. No big contracts on top of that, too. Oh, yeah, this dude is up to something fishy. Florida, ain't no sunshine, okay, until that dude is gone. All right, that's just what it is. Green and Santos. We went from desanctimonious to Green and Santos. They hate books. Dumb and Dumber, I add it again. That's right, Marjorie Taylor Green and George Santos. What are what are they up to? So glad you asked. The two reps have co-sponsored a bill that would prohibit publishers from providing schools with sexually explicit material. The bill HR 863 was originally filed by freshman rep Corey Mills last week. And this, let's put up this tweet from Rep Mills. I'm proud to introduce HR 863 to end the sexualization of children in schools. The battlefield for the future of our society is being fought within the classrooms of America. The bill targets the left's efforts to sexualize children across the US. Now, Corey Mills was the guy that sent grenades to his colleagues and owns a tear gas company. Just thought we would remind you of that. I'm trying to understand this. They won't introduce bills to provide more funding for K through 12. They won't expand the social contract to ensure that every child in the United States of America has pre-K to 16 education minimally, but they pass this. I don't know of any schools that are trying to sexualize children. Let's go on and put that out there. This is a red herring. It is a boogeyman attempt, again, to get people all riled up. Who in the hell, okay, in their right mind, in any school system in America? So instead of teaching writing, reading, and arithmetic, they trying to sexualize children through the curriculum. America is not happening. Okay, it's something wrong with these fools. They the ones with the problem. See, they're the ones with the challenge. You need to check them out. Cause they 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 too amped up on this. We need to look at them. Something wrong with these fools. It really, really is. But let's look at some of the description of this bill, the purpose to amend Title 18, the United States Code to prohibit a publishing house from knowingly furnishing sexually explicit material to a school or an educational agency to prohibit federal funds from being provided to a school that obtains or an educational agency that distributes sexually explicit materials and for other purposes. Now, let me just put this out here. Jessica, just go, let's let's jump in here. Let's undress this for, for some folks or dress it up. Yeah, I mean this. Schools are not doing this. They are not doing this. And if this is the target sex education for high school students, you know what I mean? Like we want our kids to be functioning at a certain level, but ain't nobody teaching no preschooler. Because if they are, then they do need to go to jail. But nobody teaching no preschooler about sex. Jesus. 
No, definitely not. They're they're making made up problems and using them as an excuse to pass legislation that has a real consequence with banning books. I mean, if you're a kid of a wealthy family, you have access probably to the internet, you have access to a Kindle or an iPad, you have access to these ideas no matter what. If you're a working class kid growing up in the United States, your access to books is pretty much limited to what you have in your school library. So the consequence of this legislation is very classist. It means working class kids will have less access to ideas than kids who can afford to have iPads and access to books at home and information like this at home and computers. And so when you look at the list of banned books, a lot of them are books that spread ideas that challenge your thinking and make you critical of the state, of people who might oppress you. And so at the end of the day, when you think about all of the societies that have banned books in the past, a lot of them descended into fascism. And that's exactly what we're dealing with here. You're not living in a free society if ideas are limited in this way. So they're making it about the the premature sexualization of kids. But really at the end of the day, what's going on here is something much bigger than that and has nothing to do with that even. No, it doesn't, it is neo-fascism in America right now, and we gotta do something about it. You're absolutely right about that, Jessica. This is a sad, sad state of affairs, really. And then, you know, Republicans are attacking all types of books, all types of books. So for the past few years, the Republicans have been politically attacking the teaching of race and discrimination and black history in schools. Let's just call this what it is, the whitewashing of America. So 44 out of 50 state legislatures in the US have proposed anti-critical race theory laws. Let me pause right there for a minute. Y'all know I got to get my turnerism in here. Critical race theory is not being taught. In K through 12 is not being taught. In colleges and universities, it is a law school class. Now I need you to underline that. I need you to call your, your play cousins and let them know, don't fall into this trap. Okay, let's put put it back up. Some have been vetoed, some are still moving through the legislative process and 18 have been enacted. Since the introduction of these laws, many students are left to face ripped out pages, ripped out pages in their textbooks and teachers fear a slip of the tongue might cost them their job. Now y'all got teachers living in fear for something that is not even taught in schools. It is taught on the legal level, okay, in law school. That's when you're going for the JD, baby. That's when it's taught, all right? This article from 2021 is still relevant today. Let's go ahead and put this up. Texas teachers say GOP's new social studies law will hinder how an entire generation understands race, history, and current events. Because guess what, sisters and brothers, family, friends, they don't want you to understand it. Educators who spoke to the Texas Tribune overwhelmingly denounced the new social studies law going into effect on September 1. These are the provisions they say could cause problems for them and Texas students because they just want people to be dumb. The law banning or curtailing History education definitely varies by state. Texas and Florida have been early proponents of these policies. Just last month, the sanctimonious DeSantis administration rejects proposed AP African American studies class in Florida high schools. And you know what? Those folks, they actually gave in to them. Jessica, this is. We're in troubled waters, we're in troubled times right now with these fools at the helm. 
It's ridiculous. I mean, you're making kids literally dumber with the curriculum. Not only is our world history limited to Western history and European history, and occasionally you'll learn about what's going on in Asia, but to limit African American history when we don't have an accurate teaching of Africa, even in many colleges around the United States. I mean, this idea that African history begins at the point where European nations went and enslaved African peoples is ridiculous. I mean, seriously, the curriculum we have to teach modern math came out of the University of Timbuktu and then went through the Middle East and then into Europe to ignore the centuries of history in Africa, the empires there, the first university in the world there is ridiculous to, to have our kids learn about the world with such a limited perspective of human history. There are real consequences to that. Why would you want your kids to grow up ignorant? And it's because they have a very clear agenda for how they want this country to be. And I don't want my kids to grow up in a country that limits their education and understanding of the world in that way. And it's absurd that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Santos and DeSantis do. Yeah, it really is. America, we must stop being complicit in our own demise. All right, can we do that? Yeah, we should. Now, on to somebody that really set this world on fire, and that is James Baldwin. He was one of the greatest essayists, novelists of the 20th century. He focused hard and fiercely on issues of race. I want you to take a look at this. That's part of the dilemma of being an American Negro. That one is a little bit colored and a little bit white. And not only in terms, in physical terms, but in the head and in the heart. And there are days, this is one of them, when you wonder what your role is in this country and what your future is in it. How precisely are you going to reconcile yourself to your situation here and how you're going to communicate to the vast, heedless, unthinking, cruel, white majority that you are here. I'm terrified at the moral apathy, the death of the heart, which is happening in my country. These people have deluded themselves for so long, they really don't think I'm human. I had basis on their conduct, not on what they say. That is James Baldwin, baby. He talked about moral apathy. We're going through that right now. It is as if he is talking to us right now today. James Baldwin grew up in a family, you know, they weren't wealthy. They, they he lived in poverty. He was a preacher at one time. He grew up, he conquered the skill of writing and definitely transformed this world with his straight no chaser talk about race in America and the impact that racism and bigotry and white supremacy has on the black community and definitely in all Americans too cuz he talked about that he lays down the contradiction of this country very strongly take a look at this it was a great shock to me i want to say this on the air the attorney general did not know Mr. Robert Mr. Kennedy, that I would have trouble convincing my nephew to go to Cuba, for example, to liberate the Cubans in defense of a government which now says it has done 
is doing everything it can do, which cannot liberate me. Now, there are 20 million people in this country, and you can't put them all in jail. I know how my nephew feels. I know how I feel. I know how the cats in the barbershop feel. A boy last week, who was 16 in San Francisco, told me on television, thank God we got him to talk. Maybe somebody will start to listen. He said, I got no country, I've got no flag. Now, he's only 16 years old. And I couldn't say you do. I don't have any evidence to prove that he does. James Baldwin speaking to the pain that black people face and that contradiction of this country rushing to liberate other folks when they can't even liberate black people. You better lay that down. Now in 1965 at Cambridge University in England, James Baldwin debates William F. Buckley on race. He drops the mic, take a look. It comes as a great shock around the age of five or six or seven to discover the flag to which you have pledged allegiance <laughs> along with everybody else has not pledged allegiance to you. It comes as a great shock to discover that Gary Cooper killing off the Indians when you were rooting for Gary Cooper, that the Indians were you. It comes as a great shock to discover that the country which is your birthplace and to which you owe your life and your identity has not in its whole system of reality evolved any place for you. In this debate at Cambridge between him and Buckley, it really was about is the American dream, the Negroes, as James Baldwin put it at that time, is it the Negroes nightmare? James Baldwin was on to something just magnificent in every single way. I recommend if you don't know anything about him that you study him in one of my favorite books, The Fire Next Time. Let's put up this quote from James Baldwin. What is it you want me to reconcile myself to? You always told me it takes time. It has taken my father's time, my mother's time, my uncle's time, my brother's and my sister's time, my nieces and my nephew's time. How much time do you want for your progress? James Baldwin, born in 1924, passed away in 1987. American novelist, humanitarian and truth teller. And what he is talking about is the constant push for black people to be patient and wait. James Baldwin said, how much more time do you want? Study that, wrap your mind around it, let that marinate. Speaking of time, however, we are out of time on Unbossed today. Jessica B, JB, it was so great to have you back with me in that co-host chair. Cannot wait until we are together again. And many thanks to all of you for joining us today on Unboss. You know what I want you to do about this time. I want you to keep the faith and keep the fight. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.